Well, good morning again. We are going to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Believe it or not, we're going to talk about heaven today. Been on that subject for a while. I hope you don't mind. I am, I am eager to be there, but I'm not in too much of a hurry to get done with talking about it. Uh, and we're going to be here for a little while. And I, I confess, I've kind of slowed down a little bit in my thinking. I thought, oh, I could wrap this up in four weeks or something, and I don't think so. Um, we've, got, we've got some things to talk through. And I'll tell you what I'm doing, and I'm doing it intentionally. All right? I want us to know what Scripture says. So we're going to look at it carefully, and if we have to repeat this little section here or there as we go through it, I will gladly take the time to do it. I would rather that we not be confused on this topic. And so, we're going to walk through some things, and you say, but Pastor, you said a little bit about that before, and that's okay. That's the whole point of what we're trying to do, is, is understand it well. So, that's, that's what I'm up to here. And in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8, most of these are becoming very familiar to you, I think, because we've been on them several times already. But um, if you can almost start to say these without looking, then we're getting there. Okay? 2 Corinthians 5, start in verse 6. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord... For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore we also have, as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. Underscore that one more time. Verse 9. Therefore we have, as our ambition whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your conscience. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. I know that's usually the prayer I begin before every time we share from your word on a Sunday morning, but it is true. We are very blessed people for having a copy of your word in our language, in a form that we can carry with us, that we can open it up and read it, and with your help understand it, and certainly by your strength we can do it. So thank you for the privilege of having your word and, and having it as our guide and our teacher. And we submit to you today, we ask for your help, of course, for we could not understand or do this without your help, without your working in our lives. And I believe you are working in our lives now and helping us here. So challenge us again, teach us, we pray, as we submit to you, as we sit at your feet. Thank you for this time, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I desire to walk through a chronology with you, as I started last week especially, the biblical evidences of your future. 
as it relates to heaven. It is my belief uh, that if I were going on a trip, I would, and I was going to a place I'd never been before, I would do everything I can to learn about that place before I went. I would consult the maps to know how to get there. I would consult uh, other places, especially now with websites. You can pull up any place on earth and learn whether it's safe to be there or not. Um, you learn of the, the community. You learn of the, the facilities that are available, motels and whatnot. We, we do a lot of investigation in that, don't we? We're going to places. We should. Well, we're trying to find out all we can about heaven. We're going there, aren't we? Wouldn't you like to know? That's what we've been doing. The fact of the matter is, heaven is not a mystery. God has told us in His Word what He wants us to know about it. And it's up to us to investigate it carefully and to put all the pieces of evidence in the right place that we might understand it and appreciate it for what He tells us it is about. And I stress several things in this study, but... uh, One thing I do stress is this. The Bible is my authority for what I say to you. I do not base this on experiences that I have had, because I have had none, never been there, or anybody else who might say that they've been there, their opinions or experiences, whatever that is. I'm more concerned about what God has to say. And I consult His Word. And when their experiences contradict my Word of God, I go with the Word of God. And that's all there is to it. And that's what I'm hoping that we're we're appreciating in this part of the study. The fact is that God loves you so very much. He has written down the information He wants you to know. And what He hasn't written down, He says, then trust me. Do you? Do you think He's going to surprise you with something that you're not going to enjoy or like? I don't think so. I know our God. You know Him too. His plans of heaven are incredible. And He's only wet the appetite with what He's put in our Word. But we're going to study it and walk through it as we figure out what is God's plan for heaven. And we've talked about the reality of it. We've talked about those who will be there. We've talked about His plans for it as far as what He's going to do with a heaven, present heaven, a new heaven, and all those things. Last week we turned the corner and we started to talk about you in heaven. And what can you expect? And putting it in a chronological order, the experiences of the believer. Now, recall again, I'm talking to believers in Jesus Christ when I talk to you on this topic. Especially, that's what I need to emphasize, because we're, we're looking at those who have trusted Him as their Savior. The Scripture calls them the Church. Capital C, the Church. Alright? He calls them the Bride of Christ. He calls them the Body of Christ. And so, if that's who you are, and that's who I am, that's who we're talking to in this section of our study. We'll talk about the other groups later too. But the parameter of this group, as I told you last week, starts with somewhere around A.D. 33, that's the date anyway, uh, of the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, when the church was founded, recorded in the New Testament, and all the believers since then, including that first generation of Peter and James and John and all the others, including the other generations that walked through the centuries, 
first century, second century, third century, all the way up to the days of the Reformation, and Martin Luther, and John Calvin, and all those guys, and all the way into the 1800s, and the 1900s, and now today. That's a big group of people. But that's who I'm addressing. Those in all those generations who have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And if the Lord should tarry, there will be more generations added to it than ours. Alright? The fact is that this church age will be complete someday when Jesus Christ comes for his church. I believe it could be today. But if it's not today, he's still working on building up that church. Alright? So we have an understanding. Who is the pastor addressing here? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're part of that group. And if you're part of that group, that's who I'm talking to from this section of God's Word. So, just so you understand all those things. uh, We talked last week as well that these are the facts concerning that group, you and me. I'm going to just assume that, okay? You and me. This group will leave this earth. It's going to happen. Scripture has supported it, and I'm not going to walk through all the verses again, but there is absolutely no entrance into heaven apart from Jesus Christ. And you will have to leave this earth to get there. If you're waiting for this earth to turn into heaven, I have news for you. It won't do it. Have you ever not checked the news? Does it look closer now than it has been before? Uh, It's not going to turn into heaven. We're going to leave this earth, Scripture says. Now, it's quite possible that we will follow the same pattern of the majority of our members in this church age, and they died. That's what all of them up to this day has done. From the days of Peter, James, and John to the present, they have died in the faith. They've fallen asleep in Jesus, as Scripture says. And God says, there is appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes a judgment. So, that's a reality. It's quite possible that that's what, how we will enter into heaven. There's also the possibility, as we saw last week, that we will enter heaven through the rapture of the church. That means you won't die, but Jesus Christ will come, and you'll be taken up to be with him in the air. Now, we all think that's pretty exciting. That would be great. May it happen today. We don't know. That wind last night could have done it. But here we we talk about this because Paul teaches it in several places in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4. There are two big sections on the fact that uh, there is a rapture and the church age, that's what it's about. Now, we're going to go to that in a little bit, but only pieces of it today. But these things I know. The rapture will happen. It will be the departure of the church age, all of the church age from this church. Now, I say that intentionally. It will include every single believer, whether they have already passed away or whether they are still alive. You will not miss the rapture. You will be part of it. Alright? That's what he's going to do. He's going to come for his church. Those who have who are still alive at that time, will be caught up together to meet him in the air. 
those who have already died, their body will be resurrected to join them in the earth. For where are they now? They are with Christ. Right now they're with Christ, and they will come with him and join uh, us in the air. No matter what, whether alive or not, you're going to be a part of it, okay? I, I do know a, a fellow, I told you this before, I'm sure, he and his wife were so intent on the rapture, they couldn't wait for the rapture. They talked about it constantly. She became sick and died. He was the most depressed person I'd ever met. Because he says, oh great, we missed it. He was sure of it. He thought he missed it. I said, no, you didn't. Showed him the scripture. I said, you didn't move from the back. You moved from the back of the bus to the front. Because who goes first? The dead in Christ go first. They're not going to miss the rapture. He said, oh, that's better, isn't it? Think it through. Where are you? You're with Christ. It was just a thing that some people say, I missed it. You don't miss it. No matter what, you're going to be a participant in it. All right? Understand that. I know these are just facts I've walked through before. But the fact simply is this. We will leave this earth. That's the reality. We will leave it. Then what? That's what we started last week. Then what? Well, our first group we talked about was this side, those who have died in the faith. All right? We wanted to talk about them because the possibility of that's going to be us. Uh, what about them? Well, to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. We saw that in our passage we just read here in Second Corinthians 5, didn't we? It says, we are of good courage in verse 8. I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. I especially like the way he said that. To be at home with the Lord. So, putting the pieces together up to this point, this is our picture. We will exit this world. This one group will exit this world by death. They will go to be with Jesus in heaven. When Jesus returns at the rapture, they will come with him to meet the rest of the church. We will join in the air. We'll be joined if we have died in Christ. We will be joined with our bodies that will be physically resurrected. And we will be joined and changed from mortal to immortal. And then we shall always be with the Lord. So, that much we've seen so far. And the great no amount of evidence we've had as well, I closed with this last week, is that some sort of form or shape, uh, our, our brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, who have already gone to be with the Lord, they're in some sort of form or shape that is recognizable. All the evidence I told you last week, Moses and Elijah being recognized, right? By the disciples. Transfiguration. We talked about that. Uh, we talked about Lazarus and the rich man and some of the physical qualities of eyes and tongues and fingers and all those things were given to them and they were already dead. So we've seen that too. But there's one little story I left off last week. In case you're curious, you can look it up. This one is in First Samuel chapter 28. King Saul... Well, he was in trouble, and he desired to get some advice. And, well, Samuel was already dead, uh, and the Lord wasn't going to answer Saul. And uh, so he needed military advice, so he went to consult a medium. That's really, really bad. All right? That was a, that was a dumb thing to do. If Saul were here, I'd tell him, too. 
I'd say that was a dumb thing to do. God said don't, and he did. Now, what took place in that particular event was fascinating. Even though God said don't ever do that, Saul did it, and God used that. Boy, did he use that in the life of Saul. Saul walked into this uh, medium and said, um, well, first of all, she says, no, wait a minute. It's illegal for me to be seen here. You've already outlawed all of us, and now you're talking to me? He says, don't worry about it. You're okay. Okay. Uh, What do you want to do? He says, well, I want you to bring up Samuel for me. I want to talk to Samuel. Now, I don't know what this lady was used to. But when Samuel appeared, it scared her to pieces. Maybe she was used to tricks or so. I don't know what it was, but all of a sudden there was Samuel. And she was frightened. And King Saul says to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? This is where it gets intriguing. The woman says to Saul, I see a divine being coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, what is his form? Interesting question, huh? You want to know what he said? This is what she said. An old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed his face to the ground and did homage. Now, I don't know what you can do with that. Alright? I'm not going to build a whole theology on it. You may not like it if I did. Because most of us prefer younger editions of ourselves when we get there. You know what this does not teach? It doesn't teach a younger edition, does it? So I'm just going to leave it as it is. But isn't that the curiosity we all have? What is its form? She recognized somebody in a physical human form. Okay? That's all I'm going to leave that with you. I'll just pique your curiosity in all these things. Um, the reality is that those who have gone on before have always been presented when there's a scene on earth again of that individual they have some sort of physical form that's all I'm saying right there's a physical form that's recognizable so I don't think they're just little globs or spirits or something like that up there Um, I think there's some sort of uh, uh, physical form to them now what I want to discuss today after I've talked about this group okay they're all there waiting they're waiting for the day Jesus Christ comes they're waiting for us Because we're part of that church and it has to be finished. So they're all up there waiting. What about this other group? Which is right now you and me because we're still here. Alright, so we're going to call it our group. Uh, This group who has not died and who could be taken to be with the Lord any minute now. Alright, I want to address you. I want to talk to you about this very side of it. uh, In the fact that we too are going to leave this earth. It's going to happen, one way or the other, but it's going to happen. And if we don't go through death, we must go through the rapture, because that's the only other outlet. That's the way he's designed it. Uh, I'm not going to go through all the details of the rapture. I've discussed it a lot, I know, since I've been here. We've studied 1 Corinthians 15. We've studied 1 Thessalonians 4. As you know, I'm a firm believer in it. I I can prove it from Scripture. If you want to go through all that with me, I will. But the evidence of the scripture says that there will be a rapture of the church. That's a taking up to be with him in the air. Alright? Scripture tells us it will be before a seven year tribulation period. There is a seven year tribulation coming. 
Scripture has more information on that than it does on the rapture. But it is coming. So when I talk about a rapture, we call it a pre-tribulational rapture. You want good theological terms. I, I went to school a long time to say these words, so I'm going to say them. All right? Now, the tribulation is before what we call the millennial period. The millennial period is the thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth. It will happen. It will happen after that seven-year period of the tribulation. Jesus Christ will come again down to this earth. The battle of Armageddon taking place. Here, finish it. After that seven years is complete, of course, uh, all these take place, and then he sets up his kingdom for a thousand years. So now my rapture is pre-millennial, pre-tribulational. All right? I also believe it to be a literal event. By that I mean it's not some sort of spiritual thing, some allegorical thing, something you just experience in your mind or something like that. And some people think, well, that was, that was a rapturous experience or something. And they, they hold to the rapture as some sort of a mythical thing or, or, you know, psychological thing or spiritual thing. I think it's a literal thing. One you will experience literally. Scripture teaches that. So I add a literal pre-tribulational, pre-millennial rapture. Literal. And then... I also believe there are no events necessary between now and then to be fulfilled for this to happen. We're not waiting for something first to give us a clue that the rapture is on its way. There's no events that are on the timetable at all in Scripture. We call that imminent. Imminent means it's about to happen. Alright? We insert that in our whole doctrine of the rapture, and call it an imminent, literal, pre-millennial, pre-tribulational rapture. Alright, like I said, I paid a lot of money for these words. That's going to be your departure. If the Lord doesn't take you in death, that's what you could expect. Let me show you some words. Again, you should like these. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52, verse 53. Just to show you I have support for these things. Behold, verse, no, verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. A trumpet will sound. It's the last trumpet. It's the only one we need, by the way. It's the first and the last for the church, by the way. Uh, but it is the last trumpet that we will hear, and we will be escorted into glory. We will be changed, changed from perishable to imperishable, changed from mortal to immortality. First Thessalonians 4.17 adds, Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. All right. I've just transported you there, haven't I, in our talking. Now what? What do we do when we get there? We've just been changed all of a sudden. Hey, that's pretty neat. I think it would take quite a bit of time just to figure out what we are now. Look in the mirror. There's got to be a big mirror up there somewhere. Say, whoa, who's that? Right? That's you. What are you now? Well, this is what you are. 
We are now children of God. It has not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. For we shall see him as he is. 1 John 3, verse 2. I, I think it's going to be stunning. <laughs> Just absolutely stunning to see the finished product. But that's what you'll be. Transformed from perishable to imperishable. Now, as terrific as that is, that is not the end of the experience. All right? What I'd like to do today is talk about the first of two events that will take place for the church when they enter into glory. The whole church has to be there for this. All right? They don't get it in pieces and parts. He has a design that the whole church be present for two main events. That's what we're going to experience as believers in Christ when we get there. Two great big events. You have to know about it because you're going to be there too. Alright? First of all, you remember that after the rapture, there will be a period of seven years of tribulation on this earth. I'm sorry, you're going to miss it. Alright? You're going to miss that. Uh, several times in the book of Revelation, though, they pull back the curtains and they give you a glimpse of what's going on in heaven. And I think it's really neat that he does that for us. Uh, there's going to be an awful lot of worshiping going on up there. I know that. It, it says that we're going to be up there doing that. We'll be there with the rest of them doing that. By the way, here's a new way to read the book of Revelation. Anywhere from chapter 4 all the way through chapter 19. As you read it, and they mention people in heaven doing stuff, that's you. How many times have you thought through it that way? That's you a part of that group. We always say, oh, that's that other group up there. No, he's talking about you during that time. What am I going to be doing? Go read it. It's fascinating. We're going to talk about that, you know, in another month or two. But anyway, two events that have to take place once we get there. Uh, remember, there are other groups in heaven. There are angelic groups in heaven. There's Old Testament saints in heaven. There will be tribulational saints in heaven. Those are not church saints. Those are tribulational saints. The church is already gone and complete. There will be millennial saints, and those aren't church saints either. They're another group too. But the church stands unique. And because of that, what I'm going to address here this morning, you have to understand. It's about what the church does. Alright? This is what we're going to look to. It relates to the church. All the other groups that will be present there are going to be the audience. You're the participant. When he deals with them in whatever he's designed for them, you're going to be the audience and they will be the participants. Just understand that. There are some events there that's just for the church. And that's what we're going to see. Number one, Judgment Day. How many of us are comfortable with that phrase? Uh, judgment Day? Um... Yeah. If you grew up in a generation like mine, you might have grown up with the little Jack Chick cartoons. Some of you, are just hearing that term, you know what I mean. There were little booklets about uh, this long and about this high. Most of them had a black cover on them, and they were cartoons. And they were teaching some sort of uh, principles, spiritual principles. There was a variety of them. But one of them that scared people to death was the one, this was your life. 
And what it was, was a little cartoon book. You open it up and it has pictures of these people who, who died. And they were standing before God in heaven. And all of a sudden, this great movie camera popped up open. And on the screen was their whole life. And it walked them through all the terrible things they've done in life. Everyone could see it. And you read that book and you get so uncomfortable. How would you like everything you've ever done to be put on a giant screen in heaven for everyone to sit there and say, <gasps> like that. You feel this big. You say, well, give me a, a rock to hide under. I don't know what. It's just, it's uncomfortable to read about it. And the picture is that everyone is there to see your life replayed before this scene in heaven, and you suffer intense humiliation, and you're scared to death. Would you like that to be Judgment Day? Most of us think, well, if that's what it is, <laughs> I, I'm not looking forward to that. Would you believe that there's somebody in Scripture who couldn't wait for Judgment Day? And it's not because he was a nutcase, all right? It's actually because he knew what it was. I'll give you first a couple of verses I want to read to you. One's uh, Philippians. You can follow me here. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 16. Philippians 2 verse 16. This is what he said. Holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, which is judgment day by the way, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. This person, Apostle Paul, is looking forward to the day of Christ because he can't wait to be there and see the glory. He says as he says, I will have reason to glory. Reason to glory? Okay, let's try another one, Paul. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. 2 Timothy 1.12 Just a verse you know. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Does it sound like he's, he's dreading that day? In this verse? Sounds like he's got something waiting for him. And the Lord's holding it. And whatever it is, he can't wait to get there. The Lord, he's entrusted the Lord to hold it for him. Uh, while you're in the same book, chapter 4, 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. Listen to this. Let's go to verse 7 because it kind of fits the paragraph. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Does it sound like this man is dreading that day? That Paul just couldn't like the idea of a judgment day at all? It sounds to me like he's looking forward to that day. Matter of fact, it sounds to me that a lot of good things are going to come from that day. How does that go against our little cartoon book that we just mentioned? Well, the Bible really does teach us that we ought to be excited about that day. Our passage we started with, 2 Corinthians 5. Let's go back to there. 
Second Corinthians 5. Let's pull some principles out of here now that are going to be useful for us. Second Corinthians 5. Let's start with verse 6 again. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage. I say and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we have as our ambition, see these words? Whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. Underscore that, that's what drives the whole passage. Whether we're here on this earth, whether we're there in glory, what do we want to be? Pleasing to Him, right? Pleasing to Him. Alright? For, he's going to start in verse number 10. For, here's our reason. Why do we want to be pleasing to Him? For, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that, each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he had done, whether good or bad. Oh, no. I just got your attention with something, didn't I? Whether good or bad. You say, uh, let's not go down this road. Let's go down this road. I'll tell you why we're going down this road. Because I don't want you to be confused any longer. You have probably heard, or maybe thought, and you've been distracted for a long time over that phrase, bad. Alright? It means worthless. It means things of no account. Good for nothing. Now, there are many Greek words. There's at least four. Alright, I could probably dig out more if I took, took the time, but there's at least four Greek words to define bad. Most of them talk about evil as far as character, as far as things like depravity in nature, uh, just evil like we know evil to be. A lot of those are translated bad, morally bad, terrible, evil, sinful, bad. Those are not this word. You just feel lighter now? That's not this word. That word is not used here as that kind of a word. Here's the facts. I must tell you these. The matter of sin has been dealt with. When? Jesus Christ on a cross. Didn't he pay for our sins? Alright, which ones did he forget to cover? Did he cover them all? Was his death sufficient? I do believe it is. Do you think that his promise would mean much if he said, I forgive you of all your unrighteousness, and then when you stand before him at the throne, he says, oh, by the way, let's talk about these. How would you like his promise then? Would, would his character be the kind to tell you one thing and then change it when you stand in front of him in judgment? Does he ever change in character? No. I'm basing this on reality. Alright? What we know about our Jesus Christ is his promises and his character in the fact that he has judged sin already when he died on the cross for you. It's been paid for. It's been paid for. Now, alright? Pastor time. That doesn't mean go out there and sin all you want. Number one, it gets me upset. But number two... 
God says, don't do it. How could we who are, have been set free from sin still walk in it? Paul does that all the time dealing with people. He says, uh, uh, even to the phrase, um, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? No, he says, don't. Don't do it. All right? I could give you hours of information on that. But this is what I really think. If you understand and you remember, Jesus Christ died because of this sin. That ought to melt your heart on the spot. Shouldn't it? You think, well, this sin means nothing. Jesus died for that. So, stop it. Whatever that might be, stop it. He died for that sin. And I, and I picture that sometimes even in my own heart. And I say, you know, what kind of person am I? To, to continue on in that which he died for. And that's the emphasis of the New Testament. So, this is not giving you permission to do whatever you want just because your sins are paid for. This is so you could stand before his throne in confidence. That's been dealt with at a cross. It's a promise of Jesus. It's a character of his. The Father will not bring it up when you stand before Him in glory. Understand that? When we talk about being judged for what we've done in the body, whether good or bad, He's not talking about sin in the sense that I'm talking to you right now. He's not talking about that. Now, He is concerned about your spiritual walk. He is watching you. Alright? And He does know how to correct His children, doesn't He? So He hasn't given up on, on working on you while you're down here on this earth. But on your entrance into heaven, your earthly body is changed. You are then in a glorified body. The issue of sin is gone for you. You're not only set free from the power of sin and the consequences of sin, even the presence of sin. What a day that will be. Incredible. So why then would he say, okay, judgment time, let's talk about your sin. That's contradictory to the whole picture of the cross. Matter of fact, it erases it. Because now all of a sudden you stand before a judge dealing with sin and guess what he wants from you? How do we fix this problem? Isn't that what judgment's for? It's already been fixed. I hope that starts to give you a little hope here. Because sometimes we fear these words. So you say, Pastor, then what are you talking about here? We're going to be judged in the body according to things we have done, whether good or bad. Alright? Change the word bad to worthless. Is it possible that we could go about our service today in a worthless manner? Can we live a Christian life and use our time in a worthless way? Yeah. Yeah. You ever clean your garage? Uh-huh. All right. What do you make? Two piles. Pile number one, everything you want to keep. Pile number two, everything you're getting rid of. They are worthless to you now. That's the way we live our Christian life, by the way. We build up things which are good, and we build up a pile that is worthless. You know what Paul's talking about here? The deeds done in the body. The deeds that were good, and the deeds that were worthless. And we do a lot of worthless stuff sometimes. We might have a big pile of worthless stuff, but we do have worthless things. The comparison is between that which is worthless, and that which is worthwhile, these things that are worthwhile have eternal value. 
These things are useless. Okay? Now, we must all appear before the judgment of seat of Christ, so that each one will be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what is done, whether good or bad. That clock is bad too, by the way. Um, here's what the judgment concerns. Well, I'll just walk through it real simple. The deeds done in the body. The deeds done in the body. The things. Literally, the things you've done through your body. Your body was the instrument to bring it about. Alright? The good things and the worthless things are considered in this picture. It's not an evaluation to see if you're going to make it to heaven because you're in heaven when the judgment takes place. So it's not at the gate to see if I'm going to let you in. You're already in. You're already standing there. Alright? Notice as well, he says, this is a recompense thing. That's what makes people nervous too. You'll be recompensed. Uh, what's that word? It's not a negative word, by the way. The word recompense in, in Scripture is the Greek word to provide for. To provide for. You ready for this? I like this. Hebrews 6.10, one of my favorite passages. Favorite. You guys should hang on to this one. For God is not unjust, so as to forget your work. And the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. God doesn't forget what you've done. He will provide for that. He will provide for that. You see how beautiful it's starting to sound? He will provide for that. For all the times you've served somebody in church circles, in a ministry form, in one way or another, you served somebody, never got a thank you card, never got acknowledged, thought, well, that was a waste of my time. God never forgets it. He's going to surprise you with things that you forgot that you have done. It's a glorious picture. We stand before a judgment seat. The Greek word is bima here. It's a, it's a word that the Greeks used as a platform that the athletes went up on to get their awards at the Olympics. How many of them were put up there in order to reprimand them for the lousy race they ran? None. That's not a platform for punishment. It's a platform for reward. See it so far? I'm building pictures here. It's all right here. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it says, to be rewarded, to be recompensed according to the things that we have done through our bodies. There are two judgment seats in the future. One is the great white throne judgment. That's for unbelievers to be judged and shown why they're spending eternity away from the presence of God. That's not you. There's a judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat. That's where you will be. It's rewards for worthwhile deeds done on this earth. Alright? That's why Paul says, I hold fast the word of life, life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory. Why? Because he knows what he's doing has eternal value. That's why he said, in the future there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will reward on that day to me and to all those who love his appearing. He also says this, 1 Corinthians, I've got to quit, but hey, I'm having fun. 1 Corinthians, chapter 3, just a, just a thought, okay? I know. 1 Corinthians, chapter 3, 11 through 15. This is the other place he teaches on this very same principle. 1 Corinthians 3, 
11, for no man can lay a foundation other than one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. And if a man's work which he has built on, it remains, he will receive a reward. That means it was good. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. That means it was worthless. But, rest of the phrase, he himself will be saved, so as through fire, which means he doesn't get thrown out of heaven. The rewards just aren't there. But he's still present, isn't he? So, we believe that the, as we enter into heaven, one of the first experiences the church will know, as a whole, after the rapture, will be this public event. I don't think it's private, folks. Some people, they used to insist to me, it's got to be private. No, it doesn't have to be private. It's a reward ceremony. Which reward ceremony or award ceremony have you ever gone to that was private? Really? This is an award ceremony. He wants to show how, how wonderful his children have been, how they have served him in his life, and how they need to be recompensed for these things. Those are the things that brings Christ glory. So, of course, it's public. He brings all the things that we've done. He evaluates the quality of the work. He knows the reason for the work, doesn't he, that you have done? He knows the strength that you relied on in order to do that work, doesn't he? He knows if you were trusting him or trusting yourself. Oh, by the way, guess what trusting yourself is going to result in? The worthless deeds. All right. He knows as well the motives and the attitudes behind what you did. You know, his judgment's that thorough, isn't it? It's not just that you did something. He knows why you did it, when you did it, how you did it, and what attitude was going on as you did it. He's going to evaluate all those things. And those things that bring him glory, he will reward you. All of a sudden, we're starting to think, no, I better get busy. That's why he says this in the rest of that passage. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Very logical, isn't it? A therefore has to follow. We have to do something. When you stand before Christ in glory, do you want a pile of worthless things in front of him or a pile of things that bring him glory? If our church was brought before him in glory today, can we bring a good pile of good things to bring him glory? Don't you want to do that as a church? That we can all march in there with our hands full of things that will bring him praise? That's our calling, folks. We aim for a crown. Not because we want the glory. But you know what those crowns will become? Frisbees. Swing it right back at his throne. Why? Why do we toss those crowns back to him? Whose strength did we do it in? His. Whose will that we do it? His. Who gets the glory for it? He does. You want to participate in that one? That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. That's the first thing we're going to experience. Alright? I believe that. It has to happen. Matter of fact, it has to happen before the second event. I'm going to tell you next week. It's going to be a long week, isn't it? Alright. Heavenly Father, 
We thank you for your word. Again, it, it brings back a, a, a response to us to get busy. We don't know how much time we have left on this earth, and we want our time to count for eternity. We want our actions to please you. We want the things that we do and why we do it and what we think why we do it all to bring glory to Christ. May we start to long for that day and not hide from that day, but long for the day when we can bring before our Lord the gifts of our service that you might get the praise. Lord, instill within us a new, a new view of these things. If we've been following along with the opinions of men and fearing that very day, Lord, change our hearts, I pray. Because we live for your glory. We long to see you and give you what we have done in this body. Thank you, Lord, for each one here. If there is, again, somebody here who doesn't know you as Savior, may these words be that which motivates them to come to know you. Draw them to yourself, Lord. Show them your love and your care. Show them your cross again. For all those of us who know your cross, help us to live by it. Bring you honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.